We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp. Oh, now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. And welcome to episode four of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Excited to be back here live with my friend James DiVirgilio. I'm Alan Williams. We're back in the podcast, back in Studio A. Alan, it's great to be in the studio, and I just wanted to say thank you to the 6,000 or so people that listened last week to Episode 3. Certainly surpassed Alan and I's expectations, however, we're fully ready to take on more listeners, so feel free to share the show with your friends. You can find us on Facebook at the Gator Nation Football Podcast. You can also now find us on Twitter. Thanks to plenty of you harassing me about- Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the- Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Being on Twitter, here I am. We've got a page on Twitter. It is the Gator Nation FBPC, Gator Nation Football Podcast, Gator Nation FBPC. You can follow us there. You can follow either one. That way you can be up to date on all of the show's happenings each week. And we have a great show for you today. Alan, who do we have up on deck? So we got some Gator friends, Lee Humphrey of Gator basketball fame, two-time national champion. Our friend Matt Seitz doing a little man on the street reporting for us from Knoxville itself. And then we're going to talk to Josh Ward, who's a beat writer, covers the volunteers. I'm really excited about getting into it. I know we're going to have some good conversations with all of those guys. But before we do that, let's start with looking at the game that happened this past weekend. Let's go. Let's do it now. All right. So James, was this an important win? Or a disturbingly close call? Can it be both? I think it can be both. I'm going to lean more towards the important win. I'm going to lean towards that. And I think that the stats get into that for me, and we'll look at that in a second. Uh, We dominated in virtually every single statistical category, and we did it on the road. While it wasn't pretty, while we certainly had opportunities to put them away and we could have played better, winning on the road with a young team like we had certainly has to go in the important win uh, category when your opponent had banked so much on this game being a benchmark. How about you? Agree that it was, I'll say, go way on the important win side. I know a lot of Gator fans might have been frustrated that it was closer, that it was stressful. But this is a redshirt freshman quarterback, a really young group of skill position players and uh, offensive linemen, and they went on the road and won, which is difficult to do in the SEC. I know this is Kentucky, but this isn't your typical Kentucky team. These guys were hyped. 
They had pointed towards this game for a long time. They were extremely motivated. And the Gators went on the road and got a big win. So I thought it was great. I'm right there with you. Again, it's weird. It's weird as I sit here and talk to think that, hey, we just beat Kentucky in a close game. They almost came back and beat us. We sort of let it slip away some. But the style of this game felt different. We didn't we didn't go into a shell in the second half. You know, certainly we had a really good second and third quarter. We're on the goal line, on the five yard line, first down and goal. Will throws a pass. That, that is to an open Jake McGee in the back of the end zone. I don't think he saw the second defender underneath or behind that linebacker, which led to a, a ball that was underthrown. Um, that happens. That happens in the NFL. Certainly from that point on, we didn't get any more points. We didn't really come close to driving down to get points. But if you look at our, our run-pass mix, it was about 50-50. We continued to throw the ball. We tried to throw the ball. This was not a Will Muschamp, let's run it every single time and hope for the game-to-end situation. So we didn't score. The game got close. Things tightened up. I think we were much better than Kentucky. I think we easily could have won that game by a couple touchdowns. But it was exactly what you and I thought last week. We both predicted close games. I had 24-17. You had a similar score. And ultimately, it was, it was kind of what we thought. We're just not ready yet to put teams away. But on the road, ultimately, big win. And certainly, given, again, the stats where, you know, Will didn't throw for great numbers. Looking at the numbers now, he was, he was 13 for, for 22, which isn't horrible. He did really well running the ball. I don't know that necessarily hit his checkdowns all that often. But, again, if you look at our rushing yards uh, per carry, our passing yards, uh, yards per play, and you look at all the stats that matter, turnovers, everything you want to see on the road, we were better than Kentucky. So, all in all... Good win, Allen, quarterback situation. We talked about it last week. We felt like somebody needed to be the quarterback, and it happened. Now that it happened, what are your thoughts on Will Greer's performance? I thought he played really well for a true freshman on the playing his first full game on the road. I thought he was gutsy. This doesn't show up in the stats, but he was a little dinged up in that game, had some adversity, and we've seen him respond over and over again and not lose his head. Not freak out, continue to try to make plays. And yeah, I think you're right. There were some moments where I think McElwain would have liked him to throw or he took off and run. But for most of the time, it wasn't like, what are you doing running the ball? He had good lanes to run in. He was aggressive in doing that, which is much better than taking a sack or throwing a pick. So I like the way he played. And you know, that interception, it's interesting with this game because there was a moment there. I think if we go and score 21 and we go up 21 to 3. The game probably feels totally different, and we maybe pull away and we win like you know twenty-seven to six or something like that. But that's what you have; those kind of mistakes you have to live with with a freshman QB. That's gonna happen sometimes. Uh, your thoughts on his play and not seeing Treon? Yeah, I think what you just said there at the end sums it up. The game could have been much like the ECU game; could have been a much different game, and it wasn't. We're not ready for that yet, but we're getting a win. We're getting a win on the road. I thought Will; he's a redshirt freshman. This is his third game, his first game ever as a collegiate quarterback playing the entire game. I thought he did really well. It's easy to, to think to yourself, oh, you know, Will didn't look great in the pocket at times. I thought he was hurried. I thought his footwork was sped up. It almost felt like you were watching him on fast forward. Um, I don't know that that was all nerves so much as it was that really the pass protection was was pretty subpar in a lot of that game. Um, should he have checked down more often? Should he have hung in the pocket more? Probably. But all in all, like you said, it was a gutsy performance. And he got the job done. That fourth down run into the end zone was was fantastic. He really only had one really bad mistake, which was that pass that he threw in the end zone for a pick. But even then, like I said, if you don't see that linebacker or that safety underneath, which is easy to do, you're going to throw a pick. It happens at every Agreed. single level. I thought, and I and I hope, if we stick with him, that he gave us something that he can build upon. He has something on film now that he can look at and he can get better uh, on and I think that's a big deal. Now, what's going to happen now? I don't know. I know today you had McElwain come out again and say that, hey, it's not really settled yet. It's still sort of a competition, and I don't, I don't think that's a great strategy. We've continued to harp on that. Obviously, we'll, we'll put that to bed and say that you know both of us think that Will should be the guy. We got to grow with this guy. He's going to make mistakes, but you got to keep in mind the guy's a redshirt freshman. And to me, what you said is true. He got a win on the road as a redshirt freshman in his first ever career start with one of the best Kentucky teams Kentucky's had. No, it wasn't pretty, but I felt like we had a chance to really beat that team soundly. And, and that and that's something to build upon for this week. So we, we passed the test. We passed the test. Do I give it a grade? I give it I give it probably a C. You know, New Mexico State's an A, a D against ECU, and I give us a C against Kentucky, maybe C plus, which is a win. We played average. We got a W. We'll take it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, 
I like that McIlwain didn't put entry on. And there was moments in there where we hadn't moved the ball on a series or two. We only had 14 points. I'm sure there are people who think that Treon should be playing who are probably screaming for him to be put in the game. But I, I think the quarterback is that unique position where you don't want to mess with the guy. you got to let him work it out. you got to have some rhythm to what you're doing. It's not like subbing out a running back or wide receiver, like we said. And so I was encouraged that he played the whole game. Now, whatever McIlwain says publicly, I, I can only say by my experience of watching football that Greer is going to be the guy moving forward. And I think that if that's the case and we leave that game with a win and we're settled at QB, that was our main question coming at out of last week, and we got that answer. I think that feels good for Gator Nation. It feels great. And speaking of other questions, the offensive line, which is certainly a question. And we had some of those questions answered. Talk about it. What do you think? Okay, so this was probably my big takeaway from the game. The thing that most concerns me is I watched us play against Kentucky, who's you know not the dominant defensive force in the SEC, and our guys struggled. Uh at times, there wasn't a ton of running space. You know, a few plays here and there. It's well schemed. They're competent. They did something, but Greer was under pressure almost every time he dropped back. On some sense, had to pull it down and run a, a bit. And then, yeah, not like weren't pushing the line of scrimmage. Wasn't you know making big holes. They did okay, but you just saw like that's going to be our limitation until those guys mature. I think. Would you agree? Uh, I, totally. And, and I wish I didn't agree. I wish I could say, hey, this is great. We're going to be great. But we just know that we're not going to be great on the offensive line. And, and I'm happy. I'm, I'm thrilled with the play calling. Uh, it would have been so easy to go into a shell. McIlwain is still new. This is a huge position for him. He didn't. He stayed aggressive. We dropped back, like I said, 50% of the time in the second half with a lead up 14-3 to on the road with a redshirt freshman and continued to try to throw the ball. What we learned is that any time, and I mean virtually any time, Kentucky brought any sort of blitz that was delayed with a linebacker, any time they stunted where you had an end, come maybe two positions over to enter through a different gap, we struggled immensely with that. The offensive linemen don't slide, they don't look, they're pretty much playing what's right in front of them right now, which you would expect with an offensive line that does not have any experience, and and it's understandable again why we saw Will tuck it down, but I think again, these are things on tape that you can look at and you can say, hey, we can improve. I did think the offensive line did a decent job blocking the guy in front of them. In past years, we've had issues where a defensive end just lines up on our on our tackle or switch over and lines up on our guard, and he pretty much runs right by him. I didn't see a whole lot of that in the game, but they're certainly confused by the scheme of the opponent. And that just takes time. We're just something we're just gonna have to deal we're with. We're playing this year. so many young guys who are starting. We're only one returning starter and several freshmen. So these are talented guys, I think, that can improve and be, get better over time. So that's what your hope is that by the time you get to some of these later season games like FSU, that these guys can, maybe they're at a C right now. Maybe they become like a B minus B. You know, that that could do wonders for our offense. So there's there's hope there. It wasn't catastrophe, but you saw our limitations right in front of our face right there. Absolutely. And the other side of the ball, the D-line. We called them out. I called them out last podcast saying, hey, the defensive ends were nowhere to be found. They haven't been anywhere to found. I'm concerned about them. The D-tackles, I thought, had done a good job. Your thoughts after Saturday? I thought this was like basically the highlight of the game for us. Our defensive line dominated them. They could do nothing. No running lanes to speak of. Uh, Tolls was under pressure the entire game. I mean, the beginning, the first drive or so, they he was able to handle it. And then once we started mixing it up, they did not know what was coming. Everybody along the defensive line played really well, I thought. I mean, they weren't perfect. There's some missed tackles. There's some blown assignments. That's going to happen. But for the most part, except for a few busted plays, I mean, we held them to almost nothing. I mean, and this is a team that can move the ball. And then I feel like our you know secondary backed that up. But the defensive line, I was so encouraged by the way they played. McAllister, Cox, CeCe Jefferson, all those guys got in there. And, of course, John Bullard, maybe the player of the game, dominant. Bullard has had the best season by far of, of probably any player in a Gator uniform. I mean, he has really emerged this year. He was good last year, but this year he, he's virtually unblockable with the single team. It will be interesting to see how Tennessee chooses to handle him because he's creating so much havoc in the middle of those lines. And, and all your thoughts are correct there. Um, 
really a stellar performance by a defensive line. Something we expected out of these highly talented Gator defensive lines for a while now, but that might have been the best performance we've seen. Kentucky had four returning starters on that line. They also had a true freshman playing. That's not the best line in the SEC. However, that was a dominant performance by us, which helped to mask some of our tackling problems, which we still seem to have. Yes. I'm not, I'm not ready to say we're a terrible tackling team yet. It's still early. It's a new defensive coordinator. It's a totally different style of defense. It's far more keep everything in front of you. A lot of nickel cover two. It's a different tackle angle than before. But there's a lot of just completely whiffed tackles that are coming, especially again, yeah, again from our safeties who just can't seem to tackle anybody. I thought Neil got into the game. In the second half, I thought he started to make some plays, but for the first half, you could tell he was he was just not he was not there. He was rusty, and that's going to have to get fixed. I mean, there's too many times, and we are just completely missing so rather basic tackles. I think this is where Alex Anzalone being hurt hurts us. Jared Davis is a machine out there playing well. I think Morrison, he's still not healthy. I think if Anzalone was healthy, we wouldn't be seeing as much Morrison. The safeties are a problem. The corners are tackling pretty well, but yes, the the only time Kentucky got anything going is when we blew a tackle here or there and they got into the open field. Other than that, like they could do nothing. So you get that sewn up and there's not, I mean, you're going to miss a few tackles. It's going to happen. Guys are, you know, D one football players for a reason. They can make people wish, but right. That's, that would be the concern on the back end. So what was your surprise player or position maybe even of the game? I'm going to have to go with my boy, Antonio Callaway. It's not that he was productive. It's, I think his ceiling rose for me. That one-handed catch over the middle where he pulled that thing in, kept running, that was an NFL-caliber play right there. The guy looks shifty. I think McIlwain said today we're going to need to get him the ball some more. That guy's a player for us. I think I knew he was going to be good this year. I don't know if I thought I could see him do stuff like that. What about you? It was it was great to see that. My surprise player of the game were the defensive ends as, as a unit. I mean, I called him out last week. I said we needed more, and, and they were consistently fantastic. Every single predictable pass play, they were getting pressure from the edge, just consistently beating their guy. Um, on some of the predictable running plays, they stay in their gap. On some of the plays where they're unsure what's going on, they're still sort of wildly going after the quarterback, partly because they were getting so much pressure. But they were they were really my surprise player of the game, and probably my my surprise in a negative way player of the game was was a guy we've talked about in the cast, Jordan Scarlett, who was nowhere to be found. And so I'm not sure if it's pass protection, which is my first thought. Maybe he hasn't picked that up yet. I don't know the real answer, but obviously the coaching staff does not have faith in him right now. I don't think he's – did he even see the he field? He did not see the field, not a touch. And uh, no suspension there, no injury there that we know of. So that was a surprise in the other way. Yes, we'll see. Those freshman running backs, you know, it's like they have a bad week of practice, which I'm sure freshmen do, and it's like, well, the coaches are a little down on them. We saw Cronkite look okay would have liked to see him better. Kelvin still looked good. You know, he responded this week and played really well, I thought, for the most part, you know, under some pressure to probably, you know, all that media scrutiny. So it's good to see him have a good game. But yeah, Scarlett, I don't know. That's weird. Let's hope he can get things fixed. Can the coaching staff can have more confidence in him and we need him going forward, I think. So give me to put the Kentucky game to bed. We made some predictions last week on yardage. Both of us were pretty close on Kentucky's total yards. We both said under 265, 270. They were, they were under that. You know, they were around 215, 220. And we both overshot the Gators' offensive production. Uh, but give me your overall, just in a nutshell, here's how I put the bow on this game as we as we start turn our attention towards Tennessee. I thought this was an important win. Like we saw, we said at the beginning of the year, like our schedule was a nice stepping stone. Each week was another new test, and I thought we passed it. Each week we've not like gotten, you know, blown it out of the park. You know, that's the wrong cliche, but uh, we won on the road. I'm super encouraged by that, um, and so I thought it was a really important win for this team. They're ready for the next test, Tennessee. And I think that's the right way to look at this, is to keep it in perspective. And we talk a lot about style. I talk a lot about style. This is different than when Muschamp won some of those close games. The style is different. It doesn't mean that I feel like we're going to go run the table. We're not there. We're not that team right now. We are passing each test. And each time, we've been the better team. And look, this was a Kentucky team that took it to South Carolina. We've now learned that South Carolina is not a very good football team. They're just not a very good football team. They got waxed by a Georgia team that looked mediocre against Vanderbilt the week before that. And and look, Eastern Carolina got destroyed by Navy this past weekend. I mean, Navy ran for 415 yards on them. 
So certainly, we can't look at our program and say, hey, we're top 10, but we have so much youth, so many things are unsettled. We're still committing a ton of penalties. I feel like we're continuing to progress, even if it's not as fast as maybe you want it to be as a fan. There is progression. I'm seeing the progression. I think Will Greer is going to continue to get better from the film that he has, and I think that the rest of the team will continue to get better, and it, it was wonderful to see some receivers make some great catches. Like you mentioned, that Callaway catch. Just great to see Gator Jake players. Jake McGee, ton of great catches. Showed up really big. Amazing. It's been years since I felt like, wow, look at that. That guy made a great catch. It, it, it's it's surprising as a Gator mm-hmm. fan, and it, it's great. And it's great. So already in that direction, you see that happening. So let's let's wrap up the Kentucky game. In the books, we're 3-0. and Now we move to what is easily my favorite week of the year, the Tennessee week. And before we do that, we're going to visit with our Gator Nation guest who I know we're both really excited about, which will be Lee Humphrey. Let's go ahead and talk to him. Let's do it. Let's welcome to the show Lee Humphrey. He is a two-time national champion from the Florida Gator basketball team and also a native of Maryville, Tennessee, where he grew up being a Tennessee fan. He joins us now from Florida, where he lives. He no longer lives in Tennessee. He's, he's seen the light. Lee, thanks so much for being here on the show. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me, James and Alan. We wanted to start by just getting your thoughts on what it was like growing up. What was your childhood like as a Tennessee fan? Was your family, were they big Tennessee fans? Were they impartial? What was what was the childhood like there in the Humphrey home in Maryville? No, I, growing up, uh, my dad went to the University of Tennessee, and I grew up about 30 minutes from campus. So uh, we, were, we were big Tennessee fans. We always watched um, football and basketball. I went to a lot of games growing up in, in both sports. Uh, so yeah, I was. All my friends were Tennessee fans. It's uh, kind of like growing up in Gainesville if you're a Florida fan. So, did you have a particular favorite player? Was there a guy out there as a kid you just thought that's my guy? That's the player I love to root for. Oh yeah, it was. That's easy. Uh, Peyton Manning was kind of my uh, childhood hero for college athletics. I also I also like T. Shuler a lot as, as well. I was a little younger when he was a quarterback, but, but both players I really like. So you grew up with, I'm, I'm imagining a rather typical, like you said, childhood fan, you know, fan situation of the, of the local team. And in the state of Tennessee, from what I understand, most people root for the Tennessee football team. It's not like Florida where you have Florida State, Miami, etc. So you, right, most of your friends, like you mentioned, are, are Tennessee fans. What was it like going to a Gator game against Tennessee as a kid? Did you have a chance to do that? I actually didn't go to a Florida-Tennessee college game until I was a little bit older. I can't remember. Um, I think the first game that I went to, Florida kicked a field goal to win in overtime. Does that sound familiar? Was there a game where that happened? There, there's been several close ones like that. What year was this? Can you do you know? Was this like the late nineties? I, I, I was. It was. It was when I was in high school or college. I didn't go to. Uh, that's actually one game I didn't make as a kid. The first, actually, my first Florida Tennessee game was in Florida. Uh, when I was probably early high school, uh, my dad and I drove down for a game. Florida won, and Alex Brown had a bunch of sacks. That's all I remember. <laughs> so you drove down. You went to the game. Did you stay? Did you stay the night in Gainesville? Did you Did you drive back home right away? No, no. No, we drove back. We drove back home. So, so your one experience in Gainesville as a high schooler is is a negative one. Alex Brown knew the snap count, sacked. I don't know. I think he had like five sacks that game. It was his, his coming out party. His uh, <laughs> it was a big win for yeah. the Gators. You drove back home, and you probably thought to yourself, you didn't like Florida very much, right? Yeah, at that time. Uh, I mean, like, well, I mean, the, the atmosphere of the game was great. It was a night game, and it was a fun game to go to. Uh, but, yeah, I was definitely uh, upset that Tennessee had lost that game. So I've heard that you grew up wanting to go to Tennessee, play at Tennessee, uh, but you ended up at UF. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I did. I grew up, uh, I went to all the Tennessee, well, not all of them, but a lot of Tennessee basketball games, and uh, definitely dreamed about being a Tennessee athlete as, as a young kid, but uh, the way everything turned out, I'm, I'm really glad that, that that didn't happen and that Florida recruited me and 
Coach Donovan and his staff uh, thought that I would be a good fit. And I'm, I'm really glad that I ended up in Florida. Things couldn't have worked out any better for me in my college career. So what was it like going back and playing in Knoxville you know, with the Gators? I thought it was a lot. I mean, Tennessee had good teams that, those years, and the, the gym was always packed, and the games were fun to uh, fun to go and play. And I had a lot of family at all the games. A lot of people from Maryville came up. So it was great for me uh, to go back and play. We didn't win. Uh, as I've got, I can't remember exactly. I know we lost a few times at Tennessee, which uh, would have been nice to win. What were the fan reactions like in Tennessee when you went back home and you were playing there? Uh, for the most part, I mean, overall, I think um, the fans were, it wasn't a, a really receptive atmosphere for me because most of the fans are from Knoxville. And, but all, all the all the fans from Maryville were, you know, really supportive. And I have a lot of, a lot of Gator fans in Maryville now who support Gator basketball and who root for the Gators and, um, yeah, it was, it was fun to go back. So is it possible that you then essentially turned the town of Maryville into a a small Gator supporter town and outside your hometown that the Tennessee fans weren't super receptive? Is that sort of what, what went down? Because I remember watching basketball games where you would get booed virtually every time you touched the ball. And if I recall correctly, Tennessee didn't recruit you. So it wasn't as if you had a choice per se, but... Um, I know that that your friend Matt, your good friend Matt, has told me that obviously in Maryville you sort of have a mini Gainesville there with all the support that you brought to the Gators. And I know you're a super humble guy, so you probably wouldn't even admit to that. But is it is it sort of true that the Tennessee fans, they love their school so much that you, a local Tennessee guy going to Florida, just never sat well with them? Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it, they probably didn't understand uh, the whole situation and it didn't sit well with them. But I think there was still a good portion of the population that understood and knew that I was a local guy and rooted for me and wanted to see me do well. So I've also heard that your dad still roots for Tennessee, despite the fact that you're a Gator. Uh, what's it like on uh, Florida Tennessee weekend with you guys? That, but that is not the same kind of college fan as you would imagine. He's not emotional into the games. He really he watches the games more for for the football's sake and not for rallying around the team if, if Tennessee won or lost you wouldn't really tell a difference in his demeanor he would definitely you know he wants Tennessee to win but it doesn't really outwardly affect him so you wouldn't notice it unless you knew him really well so he's even keel so he sounds a whole lot a whole lot like you very balanced very calm He's calm and even killed. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> so tell us, what are you what are you up to now? We know that you're, I believe you're done playing professional basketball. Is that right? Right. I finished uh, this past season was my last year. I was hurt for most of most of the year. The first part of the year, we had uh, my wife and I. We had our, our first our first kid, a little boy named Oliver. So up until Christmas, we were uh, enjoying Oliver and preparing for the season and then I, I was injured the first few weeks of the season uh, in Lithuania and then it was a good time to uh, to move on so this was my yeah this was my last year but now we're living in Jacks, uh, Jacksonville uh, my my wife's from uh, Ponte Vedra so we're close to her family and we're still fairly close to mine and I've started a new job so uh, we're getting settled into a different career yeah the next the next phase well Jacksonville especially Jack's Beach definitely a very nice area and if before we get your thoughts on this this upcoming game here this weekend if you could and if you had one what is your greatest memory or best memory even if it's on the court or off the court of being a Gator of being a Gator oh that's tough one one great memory of I would I mean I think that the two national championships are kind of the pinnacle of my basketball career. Uh, and just uh, so for, to pinpoint a specific moment, I mean, those two, those two games would be kind of the pinnacle of my basketball career. But just in general, I love my experience at Florida and all the support that we had from the students and uh, just the school. I don't know. It was a great, uh, a great experience for me as a whole. So I don't know. It's, it's tough to bring it into one experience, but, I guess that's kind of my answer. Okay, Lee, give us some thoughts for this weekend. Do you have a prediction? How do you think the game's going to go? Well, I think it's going to be close, I guess, after after watching the first few games from both teams this season. 
I think it's hard to predict. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I think Florida looked really good the first game. And the past two games uh, we've won but haven't been quite as strong, I guess. But you never know in, in sports uh, something could click and the Gators could just turn it on. So I'm going to predict the Florida win in a close game. Give me, give me a score on that, Lee. Humor us with the score. With the score? Okay, I'll say 21-17 Gators. I like it. I definitely like it. And lastly, we ask all of the guests from the Gator Nation this question. I know it, it's possibly been a while, uh, maybe, since you've done this. But if you had a favorite restaurant in Gainesville, what would it be? Hmm. Favorite? We, well, I was in Gainesville a few summers ago, and my wife and I went to an Italian restaurant for uh, our anniversary. Oh, and I can't remember the name of it, so that doesn't do me any good, but what, it was great. Was it was it small and downtown? Yes, it was small and downtown. Manuel's? Manuel's, that's the name. There it is. That's a great place. Manuel's Vintage Room. Nice nice choice, Lee. Solid choice. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> well, Lee, thanks so much for being on the show. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you. We hope that the Gators win, and we hope that all your friends that grew up rooting for Tennessee are disappointed this weekend. But it's Lee Humphrey, two-time national champ from the Gators. And uh, Lee, once again, thanks for being with us. We certainly enjoyed talking with you. Uh, Thanks, and uh, go Gators. It should be a fun weekend. Really great to hear from Lee Humphrey, a Gator great who's from Tennessee. And now we're going to turn to talk to one of our friends from UF who lives up in Knoxville. All right, we're welcome to the show right now, our friend Matt Seitz, who's a Gator grad, both undergrad and graduate school, who is now getting his PhD in psychology at University of Tennessee and is an instructor there. So Matt, let me jump right in. What is it like being a Gator in Tennessee? Fellas, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Let me just say briefly that before I moved to East Tennessee, I didn't realize it's probably one of the prettiest places I have ever been to in in the whole country. I mean, I've been I've been all over the world. I wouldn't say it's the prettiest place in the world, but it's one of the prettiest places uh, in the country. And I would say I've loved pretty much everything about living here, except for the whole Gator part. Um, I wear I wear Gator clothes around campus a lot. Um, I can just remember last year when I was working out, I was bench pressing, and I had my Gator shirt on, and a couple of frat guys came over, and uh, I know this is a family show, so they said a, a very bad word, and then the word Florida after it. So. I'd say for the most part, people are really good to me. Um, but there's, there's, uh, if I wear my Gator shirt around campus, I've been cussed out about half a dozen times. Um, I teach at the university, so I teach a couple psychology courses. Uh, every time I announce I'm from the University of Florida, I typically get booed by the entire class. So when I get ratings at the end, I usually say, "Well, he was a great professor, but he, uh, but he was a Florida fan." So. Um, Honestly, the people outside of campus have been pretty good. It's some of the guys on campus that can be pretty nasty. So, Matt, we know that you went on campus and recorded some audio uh, of essentially what Tennessee fans felt like about Florida. And we're going to listen to that audio here in a second. But maybe you can set the scene for us. What exactly were you doing? How did it go down? What was it? Yeah, I was in the kind of, if you're familiar with Florida's campus, you think of Turlington Plaza. We kind of have something like that up here at UT, the center of campus. And I just walked around and stuck phones in people's faces and said, hey, when I when I talk about the Florida Gators, what do you think? And again, what these guys are about to let you hear right now, um, they had to edit through quite a bit because um, there was some crude, profane stuff in there. But um, you're just going to hear a few reactions from UT students on uh, how they feel about the Florida Gators. Perfect. Let's get right to it. What is the first reaction that comes to your mind when I mention the term Florida Gators? Hate. Yeah? So you, you realize you have a big game coming up against them next weekend. Who do you think is going to win? Oh, my gosh. Hands down, the balls. Absolutely. Like, I don't have a doubt in my mind. No doubt in your mind? No doubt at all. We're going to go back to Gainesville. People, this is, so this is a UT student right here telling me that there's Ab- no doubt. That, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Do you have any trash to talk? No, I'm honestly too classy for that. You know, they're a good team. We're a good team, but we're just a better team. Say when I say Florida Gators, what do you think? Disgusting. Losers. Hey, what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say Florida Gators? Uh, sucks. <laughs> if, as long as Tennessee beats Florida, I could care less about like the Oklahoma law. <laughs> I guess that doesn't mean as much as long as Tennessee beats Florida. 
All right, well, we certainly learned that Tennessee fans still, in fact, dislike the Florida Gators. Not surprising there. So, Matt, what's it going to be like this Saturday night if Tennessee (laughs) wins this game? What will it be like on campus? Man, if Tennessee wins this game. uh, James, I just don't think that's going to happen. So, I guess you're asking me for a hypothetical here, but... They want this game more than, as you heard that guy just say, any other game uh, of the entire year. You know, they've hated Alabama longer, but there's never been such an intense hatred as as for the as what they have right now for the Gators. I remember I saw a student that I taught walking out of the stadium last year when we won at Tennessee, and he was so dejected. He was almost in tears. I think this year, if they win – I think I'm going to get a lot of trash talk to me in class because I'm very open about my Gator love. And I think it'll just be like a, like a party like you've never seen. They want this game more than, more than any game of the year, not even close. And to say it's been a decade, most of these kids were, gosh, they were barely, barely speaking the last time Tennessee beat Florida. So they want it bad. And since we know that you kind of just rained on their parade, why don't you give us a score prediction for this weekend's game? Yeah, I think I just said since since Florida beat Tennessee, it's been a decade since Tennessee beat Florida. But let me say that um, if I was an objective fan, I said before the for the year I thought UT would win in a close one. I do think they might be more talented than us right now. Um, I think Mac is is building up building us up to be something good in a couple of years. But since it's in the swamp, and since I cannot pick the Volunteers to win anything. I'm going to say 24-21 Florida. Will Greer is going to have a late touchdown pass to take the lead. Swamp's going to be going crazy, and I'll be there wearing my Gator stuff. I love it, Matt. I certainly hope that comes true. Matt Seitz, thanks for being on the show. He is a Ph.D. student in the heart of enemy territory there in Knoxville, Tennessee. He'll be coming down to the game this weekend. Matt, thanks again for joining us. Go Gators, fellas. James, it's Tennessee week, one of my favorite weeks of the year. Tell me, how excited are you? Super excited. I mean, this is my favorite week every every single year, UF Tennessee. I yearn for Tennessee to be good because I like this week so much, and I want it to live up to what I remember for me as Florida Tennessee week. What does Florida Tennessee week mean to you? Give me some of your memories. What do you think of when I say that? So I don't think probably most younger Florida fans know this, but in the 90s, Florida Tennessee was the premier game in the SEC. The winner of this game was going to most likely win the East and probably have a shot at the national championship. Uh, So a lot of great memories, a lot of big Florida wins over Peyton Manning and those teams, the heartbreaking loss in 2001 after 9-11 moved the game to his end of the year and we were number two, lost the game at home. And we're sitting in the stands wanting to throw up all over the bleachers because I was so disappointed. Uh, But a lot of great moments too. Tell me some of your favorite Tennessee memories. I certainly remember that 2001 game, almost like it was yesterday. It was, uh, you know, we were 17-point favorites. It was played at the end of the year. There was so much hype. It was basically the first college football playoff game. And my brother came up to the game. He was in middle school at the time. He had his Gators helmet on the entire game, which was fantastic, sitting in the student section. And we just gut-wrenching loss in that two-point conversion. But most of my memories are, are great ones. I remember back in 99, Jamal Lewis being stopped on fourth and two. I'd come up to visit some of my friends who were at school here. It was my first Gator game as a, a quote-unquote adult, not a kid. And um, just amazing, the energy in the stadium and the town. And then really, every year Phil Fulmer was there, right up until the end, was incredible between him and Spurrier. And the rivalry really didn't start between Tennessee and Florida until Steve Spurrier, a Tennessee guy, got the job in the 90s. Fulmer and Spurrier were friends. And it builds into this thing now where I think a lot of Tennessee people will tell you that Tennessee actually hates Florida more than they hate Alabama. They hate Florida so much. We got to hear some of that. And a lot of it started with Spurrier, and he loved to jab Tennessee more than anything. There's so many classic, you know, you can't spell citrus without UT kind of jokes, them always being in the Citrus Bowl. So some great moments in this rivalry. I know you've got maybe one in particular that you cherish. I have so many. I was at the Jabbar Gaffney game in Tennessee when he caught the ball for like less than a second in the end zone and it counted as a catch which is great before instant replay and we wind up winning the game and I remember walking out of the stadium and and the Tennessee fans if you haven't been to an away game at Tennessee when they are good there's no one like them I mean their passion their excitement their pure hatred of the Gators I had never experienced anything like it 
And I remember walking out of the stadium and I get out and you get all the fans yelling at you. It wasn't a catch. They're super upset. And of course, I remember yelling scoreboard and a few other things. And I get out in the parking lot and this, this frat guy sticks a foam finger in my face and I ripped the foam finger off. And, you know, it's just it's getting intense out there. And a cop had to walk us all the way to our car, which was a good thing because this guy had about 15 guys around him. He walks us all the way to our car. And on the way, they were getting flicked off by, by 70-year-old women in cars. People are throwing beer bottles at us. I mean, we're just a couple of guys at a game. And so I actually fell in love with that. I thought, man, if people can like football this much, this is a great thing. So a couple years later at the game, we picked up what is now famously known as Little Peyton. We go there in 06. We win a very, very close game. Um, and they had these weird giveaway items then. And Little Peyton's here in the booth with us right now. But it was, a, it was a Tennessee player who was wearing a, a jersey number on here, number 30, as we've got him here. I'm holding him right now. And he was a, he's, a, he's a black player, I presume, maybe a corner, a safety, a linebacker. He's not a real person. He's just a guy. But he's a water bottle. It's the coolest thing ever. Well, the Tennessee fans were so mad they lost. They're throwing these things all over the stadium. We pick one up. There's about 14 of us at the game. And I carry this thing around as my Little Peyton Tennessee trophy. Now, you're probably wondering, why is, why is this Little Peyton? Well, he's Little Peyton because whenever I go to Tennessee, people are in love with Peyton Manning. Everyone has his jersey on stuff. Everybody loves Peyton Manning. And so we know we know from Lee Humphrey, he, he loved Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's like, I love Peyton Manning. So we'd walk around the campus and we'd talk about, you know, hey, where's, where's Peyton at? Can you tell me where's Peyton at? And just all the things that come with making fun of it. You think of James Bates making fun of his his Tennessee stuff. And little Peyton is is undefeated. He hasn't been there since the beginning of the streak. So he hasn't won 10 in a row. He's won nine in a row, personally. But I bring him out every single year this week. He hasn't lost. He's with us. And yes, he's a black guy wearing number 30. But his name is Little Peyton. So he'll be here for the rest of the broadcast. I love this week. I think of the checkered box, end zones, and everything else that goes with it. And with that, let's talk about what matters, Alan. Yeah, let's get into the game itself. Can, can we win this game? I think we can certainly win this game. So it's going to come down to us not making mistakes like we've had. Some of the ways we've shot ourselves in the foot. If we're able to avoid some of those things, I think we can win this game. So I think it's ultimately going to come down to which offensive line is going to be able to keep their quarterback upright. Uh, Tennessee's didn't play so great. We've seen our defensive line be dominant. We've seen our, like we talked about, offensive line have some issues. Uh, I think we can win this game. I think it's going to be close. Our defense has the potential to shut them down. And if that happens, we've got a great shot at the game. I, I agree. We're two-point favorites. Tennessee has played one team with a good defense in Oklahoma, and they struggled immensely, immensely. Dobbs could hardly complete a pass in the second half. I think he finished with like a 32 or 33% and completion Oklahoma rate. Oklahoma defense isn't the most stalwart. Tulsa put up you know, a million yards on them this week. Exactly. And so you have to wonder, Dobbs, Dobbs doesn't have good footwork, doesn't have good vision down the field, tends to lock onto his first receiver. There's a lot of stuff to like going into this week. If you wanted to bet on the game, a lot of it says, hey, that two-point favorite looks pretty good. We're at home. We've beaten them 10 times in a row. They have a lot of psychological issues with that. It's a game that we should win. Of course, we do have some concerns, and one of which comes to mind, obviously, is the field goal unit. If this yes. game is going to be a close game and it's going to be a two-point game, it's pretty difficult to have any confidence, even at all, in our field goal unit right now. And the Kentucky field goal is still blowing my mind. We line up. We have plenty of time to make that kick. We take a, a delay of game after the unit was ready and then get a kick blocked. That was maybe the most frustrating moment of the Kentucky game for me where it felt like the game was spinning away from us. Uh, there's no reason to have that delay of game. There's also no reason to get that kick blocked either. And Austin Harden has been shaky. Shaky would be a generous word to describe him. I have no idea what to expect from him. His entire Florida career has been up and down. So if it comes down as a, a made field goal at the end, I have zero confidence. So hopefully we can avoid that scenario. Yeah, hopefully it won't loom large because I'm with you. Every time Austin Harding lines up to a field goal, I just assume it's going to get blocked. He's going to miss it. I mean, I can't think of any other thing to say than the guy's just been a major bust thus far. He was the number one overall kicking recruit, which, look, nobody can, no one can project kickers. You never know. It's totally roll the dice. But that just has to get better if we're going to keep playing close games. Aside from the field goal unit, I look at, I look at the personnel, though, and I say to myself, we are better at a lot of positions. We really are. Both teams are young, so you can't bank on it and say, we've got this guy who's super proven, probably outside of Vernon Hargraves. 
But you can look around the rest of the roster and say, you know, we're better than them. We beat them last year, which we had no business beating them last year on the road. They're the same teams. I think we're better. I think we're far more, you know, well-coached than we were last year. So there's a lot of reasons to think we're going to win. And they came off a monumental collapse against an Oklahoma team at home in front of a national televised audience. Just an epic collapse. So even if they have a lead, those young players are not going to believe they're going to win. They don't know how to win. Neither do we. But we're the home team. We don't have 10 years of losing against us. Exactly. I think that streak, you know, we like to talk about that. We talked about the Kentucky streak a lot. It doesn't mean everything, but I think it does play into some of those emotions where, you know, they're feeling the pressure as stuff starts to slip for them potentially. I mean, I could see this game going in so many different ways. I could see them running away from us. I could see us blowing them out, and I could see a coin flip either way. It feels almost impossible to pick this game because every outcome seems feasible. (laughs) I mean, that's, I think, a testament to the fact that neither of these teams are predictable. So... Let's talk a little bit about yeah. the things that do matter. If I have to nail you down for a couple of things that are going to be the, the keys to victory, what are the things that you're looking for? I already mentioned offensive line play. It's got to be solid. Uh, we need Will Greer to stay, um, I guess, in the pocket a little bit more. But we got to keep him healthy, too. I don't know if he can run as many times as he did in that game and stay in the game the whole time. He's not that big of a guy. So he's got to be judicial about when he runs. And we need our defense to be dominant, honestly, still. Until this offense matures, we need the defensive line to play like they're capable of, which we saw this past week. They can do that. And we need need some interceptions, I think, which we're fully capable of doing. We have a fantastic secondary. What about you? Some keys to victory for you. I think the keys to victory really are going to be stopping their run game. I just don't think that that Dobbs is an accomplished passer. And I don't think he's going to become one this week. I don't see them passing on us for significant yardage. Sure, they'll have 100, 150, maybe even 200 yards, which would be, I think, a high total for them. The way they're going to win is by running the the ball. And they have great running backs. And they have a good running back, and they have multiple of them. And and that's what Tennessee historically wants to do. They like to pass the ball more in this modern era for them. But if we stop their run, and on offense, we don't turn the ball over a lot, and that's such a defensive mindset. I I hate to be that way. I love to say, "Let's, let's go at it. But really, I think we stop their run. We ourselves don't give them points that this is a game we win. You know, you're, when you're two unknowns as a team, that's how you generally win, right? It's, you limit your turnovers and you hold the other team from easy yards, which would be running. You make them earn it. And I think that's what we've done really well as a defense. If you're going to score on us, you got to earn it. You have to earn it. And I think Tennessee has proven they can't consistently do that. Uh, we've certainly proven on offense we can't consistently do that. But I do think Will Greer, uh, and I think McElwain, especially being an offensive coach, gives us an edge in that area in a, in a kind of coin flip game. So those are the two things I'll look for with regards to like key stats. Um, Prediction-wise, what are we thinking? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first this week. Cool. I love beating Tennessee. Little Peyton's right here looking at me. Nine in a row. He's going for 10 in a row for himself. We're going for 11 in a row as the Gators. And I do, again, expect that to continue. This is a stepping stone game. Tennessee's better than Kentucky. They come in in the classic CBS 3.30 p.m. time slot where Tennessee-Florida plays. I like Florida to win this game. I actually think we're going to score close to 30 points. I'm going Florida 27, Tennessee 17. I think we win by 10. I don't think the game is necessarily comfortable, but I think we win by 10. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of close to you there. I think we're going to get a little into the 20s this week. I'm going to say 24-16. And uh, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble scoring on us if I have this game pegged correctly. I saw the way our defense played around the goal line. That seems to be a Jeff Collins trend, maybe a little movement in the middle of the field, and then they clamp down in the red zone. You know, And so they're going to see maybe four field goals from Tennessee. Um, and I think we can put points on them. I don't know. That, that's my hope. Um, that's what I think. I, like I said before, it could go any direction. So it feels kind of crazy to predict it, but that's where I'll land. Give me one thing we can't do. Uh, we can't let them uh, beat us over the top on big pass plays. If they're going to get easy points that way, and I don't see that happening, but we like to play aggressive man corner. We, you know, we've got great corners, so we put them to the test. Uh, you saw them complete a couple. Everyone's completed a, at least one big pass against us. I feel like um, if if that happens, and there's some busted coverages in the secondary, 
that puts us behind the ball there, and I don't know if we're recovering from that. What about you? I think that we can't have our quarterbacks. I really think Will's the guy now, but I think we cannot have our quarterbacks regress. And we talked about progression. We felt like the ECU game was a regression. I feel like the Kentucky game was a progression, even though it wasn't beautiful. And I think that <clears throat> Will Greer could be the same guy he was against Kentucky, and I think we still win this game. If we get progression, I think that increases our comfortable margin. And I think that is what I'm looking for. I'll be looking for him to slow his tempo down some, slow the footwork down some, trust the pocket, maybe even take a sack or two to make sure he gets a chance to look at another receiver, trust the routes McQueen puts on the field. If we can't get consistent production out of our quarterbacks, and it doesn't have to be amazing, like we said, we're really setting the bar at Kentucky last week, I think. I think that would be good enough. Then that's what we can't do. We can, we, we're not a good running team. We don't have a power offensive line. If we can't throw the ball, at least somewhat, and we regress at that position, Tennessee is not a team that's going to let us just run, 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 and squeak out a little win this year. They're better than they were last year. They're going to put some points up. They can move the ball. So I think we have to make sure that we are competent in the passing How game. How many yards are you looking for for us to be come out with a W? I think we need to throw for 200. I think the, the rushing yards could be anything. It almost doesn't even matter. It's going to be a wild card. But if we throw for 200 yards, which is not a lot, but if we throw for 200 yards, I feel like we win this football game. With our defense, with all the stats that are out there, we're better at most of the metrics you look at. We have the edge right now. I think, I think we do it. Assuming the turnover battle is somewhat equal. Correct. Right. That's always the X factor. Okay, well, we'll find out 3.30 on Saturday. I'm excited to see it. We'll be there in the swamp and hoping for a Gators victory. So next, we're going to talk to Josh Ward, our guest from Intimate Territory, someone who's very intimate with the Tennessee program. And a little of Josh's audio got messed up due to a faulty cell phone, but the rest of it is great. And stick around afterward because we're going to go back and review our game-by-game predictions. And that was a lot of fun to record. So we'll see whether we still think all those things are going to happen. Let's welcome to the show Josh Ward. He's the host of Sports 180 each weekday in Knoxville, Tennessee from 12 to 3. That's on Sports Radio WNML. He is joining us from Knoxville right now. Josh, how's it going? Hey, doing well. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, great to have you. What's it? What's the mood right now in Knoxville? Tough loss against Oklahoma. Uh, you put up two high scores in the other games you played against Bowling Green and the Western Carolina. What, what is the, what's the feeling right now coming into this game? I think there is a uh, guarded optimism for Tennessee heading into the game against Florida because Tennessee knows it has a pretty good team. It has a roster that is in better shape than it really has been in for a while. Uh, They've dealt with some injuries here recently, and you know a lot of teams do once you get a few weeks into a season. But overall, Tennessee knows it has a a pretty good group, and a disappointing loss to Oklahoma a couple weeks ago has you know kind of affected the level of optimism, but Tennessee still has a lot of really good athletes. And uh, this is a matchup between Tennessee and Florida where Tennessee has a better chance, I think, going in to win than we've seen, uh, you know, for the most part over the last uh, 10, 11 years now since Florida's grown this long winning streak over Tennessee going back to 04. So, I think I think the reason the optimism is guarded is because there are still questions about Tennessee's offense, and because it's been 11 years since Tennessee last beat Florida, and there is that there's still that see it to believe it mindset, or at least that that starts to creep in. But overall, I think people in Knoxville feel pretty good about it. Would would it be accurate to define this as a defining game? for Butch Jones thus far? Is it something where if he loses the game, a lot of Tennessee fans jump off the bandwagon, and if he wins the game, a lot of people say, we've turned the tide, we're going to do well in the SEC, we've we've finally gotten rid of what's gone on in the past decade? Yeah, it's a fair description. Uh, it, it means a lot. It's, to this point, the most important game uh, Butch Jones will have coached at Tennessee. I, I don't think that's up for debate. Uh, the Oklahoma game was big a, a couple of weeks ago, but this is Florida. This is the SEC, and uh, again, the, the long losing streak is there because you can go both ways. If Tennessee wins against Florida, one, that doesn't mean that Tennessee is necessarily all the way back and is ready to be an elite team, but it, it would be a good sign. And then Tennessee has Arkansas coming up after that. That's a very winnable game at home for Tennessee. So let's say Tennessee beats Florida and beats Arkansas, then all of a sudden Tennessee is playing Georgia 
to be in the driver's seat in the East. You know, that's that's the next step if Tennessee's able to beat Florida. On the flip side, if Tennessee loses, well, you have a lot of upset fans. Uh, Butch Jones will have just lost to a first-year coach at Florida, would have allowed the streak to continue. And it, it would be on the road, but it was on the road for Florida last year when Trayon Harris, a true freshman quarterback, was able to go in the game and, and bring the Gators back down two scores to win. So the – the result or the, the reaction if Tennessee were to lose would be really ugly in Knoxville. If Tennessee wins, then all of those bad feelings after the Oklahoma loss, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them would go away, and then you try to take care of business in the SEC. So there was a lot of hype around Josh Dobbs coming into the season. Are people still convinced that he's the guy at quarterback? Well, that's an opinion that has changed among some fans. And if you want to talk about some of the concern, part of it is with Josh Dobbs. To me, it's kind of funny. Which, you know, part of it made sense. Uh, He's a very likable guy. He's a very good athlete. And he has a lot of potential. But we haven't seen that much from him. Uh, He was great against South Carolina last year. But most quarterbacks were when they faced that defense a year ago. Uh, there is concern about his ability to throw the football downfield. Uh, there have been some accuracy issues with him throwing the football. I think at worst he can be a really good player because his athletic ability in this offense for Tennessee helps him make a difference. And I think part of the issues with trying to throw the ball downfield and, and make big ex- explosive plays in the pass game, you know, part of it is the offensive line is not great. And I think there's some concern with the coaching staff and the ability to protect him to give him time to do it. Also, I don't know how much of a chance he's had to to show whether he can or cannot be that good of a passer, but there are more concerns now from fans than we certainly heard three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I think Tennessee fans were ready to anoint uh, Josh the the top quarterback in the SEC and uh, a Heisman contender. I mean, this caught me off guard, but three weeks ago, uh, Josh popped up on a national website's list of NFL prospects for the upcoming draft. I honestly had not even thought about the idea of him being a draft prospect this upcoming year. He's a junior, so he obviously has two years of eligibility left. So three weeks ago, we were all of a sudden talking about him in the NFL draft this past week. There was at least some portion of the fan base saying, hey, is Quentin Dormady, the true freshman, better? I think the real conversation is somewhere in between, but that shows you how wide the range has been. So what has to go right for Tennessee to win this week? Well, limit mistakes. I mean, most coaches are going to say that, but when you're on the road and you still feel like you're trying to get over over the hump, you know, don't give uh, a team like Florida, which it was realistically kind of limited offensively, is looking for ways to make plays, and Florida's defense can certainly help them do that. So don't go on the road and, and turn the ball over. Uh, but, yeah, they, they need to be able to throw the football Uh, down the field what I was just talking about that's still very important for what they're doing offensively and then defensively uh, don't get beaten deep that was a concern for them in the Bowling Green game they were much better there against Oklahoma they were better at attacking on defense I thought as well and that they were able to cause pressure which caused problems for Baker Mayfield Oklahoma's quarterback Tennessee I think on defense is going to try to do that as well to Will Greer and Trayon Harris if he were to get out there but you know, Florida's offensive line, I think, is a group that Tennessee's defense believes it can attack. Now, Tennessee's without Kurt Majit, one of its top pass rushers, so that's a loss. But they still have Derek Barnett, and they still have some pretty good athletes back there. Jalen Reeves-Maben is turning into a really good linebacker. So attack defensively, uh, try to cause big problems for Will Greer. And then offensively, they've got to find ways to uh, to hit some big plays because they have playmakers. They just haven't actually made plays. Uh, so far this season, at least against top competition uh, against Oklahoma. Special teams have also been uh, good in some ways, bad in others. So this kind of game, you can't really make big mistakes in that area. So, yeah, can you give us one player on offense and one player on defense that Florida fans should be paying uh, attention to in particular this game? Yeah, on offense, I would uh, I would start with, Besides Josh Dobbs, who's an obvious answer at quarterback, I would say Jalen Hurd, as much as I talk about the passing game, Tennessee running the football is so important. Hurd is their leading back. Now, Alvin Kamara, I could I could do a 1A, 1B for you because I don't think Tennessee has done enough to get him the football. Certainly in that Oklahoma game, that was the issue. I would 
put him on special teams in the return game as well. That's a possibility this week. But I would start with Hurd on offense. He's a big back. He's you know he's played in the SEC now a, a good bit. Nine 100-yard rushing games already, and he's just you know, three games into his sophomore season. He's terrific talent. Defensively, I'll go Derek Barnett, uh, defensive end. He had double-digit sacks last year, big-time player. And with Kurt Majid out, it makes it even more important that Derek Barnett is disruptive in, uh, in rushing the passer. Last year's Tennessee's defense was much better, and the biggest reason was because Barnett was a very good freshman and Majit had come back from an injury, missed all of 2013. So uh, Barnett really needs to play well on defense and help them get after Will Greer. Josh, if anyone in Tennessee is concerned about any particular player on the Gators roster, who would that be? Uh, Maybe John Bullard on defense. I think the concern would be that pressure uh, gets to Josh Dobbs and gets in Tennessee's offense. That's what helped Oklahoma in the second half a couple of weeks ago, get back into the game, uh, the offensive line for Tennessee. So it wouldn't necessarily be one player, of course, but that's where you would start, uh, being able to get after Josh Dobbs. He really struggled when the pressure got to him. And he, he didn't get a lot of help as well. That should be pointed out. But attacking uh, Tennessee's off, uh, very effective for Oklahoma. So if you can get to Josh Dobbs, maybe there is a, a mistake, a turnover, something like that. But get Tennessee out of rhythm as well, because Tennessee wants to go fast and you know, sometimes if you're not playing well, well I, I guess every time, if you're not playing well and you're trying to speed things up, that actually hurts you because uh, you're, the faster you go, if you've got problems, I think it's less likely that you get your mistakes correct. And then if you give the other team the ball back and that's tying your defense out, it can become even more problematic. So I would start as I guess the representative for the Gators need to attack Josh Dobbs. Okay, Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask for a prediction. If you give me one, how many total yards of offense you think Tennessee's going to have? And give me a score. Uh, the yardage question, that's a good one. I hadn't really thought about that one uh, as much. I would say in the 350 range, uh, I, would, I think Tennessee will win the game. I think it's going to be still pretty close. I mean, the, the Vegas line would indicate that as well. Uh, but I would say it's close and fairly low scoring. Right now, probably in the you know seventeen to thirteen range, something like that, twenty to thirteen, twenty to fourteen. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Florida win this game because of you know, the way things have been. And I know that you know streaks aren't supposed to matter. Hey, it's this year's team, but Tennessee knows about the streak, and I, I think it's not the streak itself, but last year when Tennessee's up nine to nothing, and Tennessee fumbles the ball in its own territory. Trayon Harris trots out there, and you know, there's this here, and he did it, and the offense was able to go down and score, and all of a sudden it's a one-possession game. And there's a, there's, a, there's a change there. You can feel that momentum shift, and you can feel the confidence shift in Florida's favor and against Tennessee. So uh, it's a tough spot for Tennessee, Let, let's, and Tennessee staff as well. But right now, I think Tennessee is ahead. I think Josh Dobbs is the better quarterback than – what Will Greer is right now, that might change within the next 12 months. But right now, I think that's the advantage for Tennessee. Josh, thanks so much for being with us. Josh Ward, the host of Sports 180 in Knoxville, Tennessee. You can find him on Twitter at Josh underscore Ward. Thanks again, Josh. We loved chatting with you today. Well, let's get into our final segment here. The first week, we went through and did a game-by-game prediction. Had a ton of fun recording that. So let's go back through it. Now that we've had some data here, we've seen three games. Let's see where, how we feel now for the rest of the season. Yeah, this should be interesting. So I've got our list, our handy-dandy list pulled up here. I'm looking at who we picked. Both of us picked Tennessee. We also both picked Tennessee this week, so that's a win. We're still there. We're 4-0. And then we go to Old Miss next week. Both of us had a loss. Do you still have a loss with the home game against Old Miss? I think i got to stay lost there. I mean, we just saw them go and win at Alabama – I don't think it's out of the question that we, you know, lose. But, uh, yeah, I have to say lost there. You? I'm sticking lost there. That team looks superior both talent-wise, maturity-wise, and et cetera. I'm going to stay there. At Missouri, October 10th. So I said this was a loss because they've just had our number. They looked pretty bad this past weekend, like terrible. But they also lost to Indiana last year and then came in and pounded us. So, I don't know. There's maybe I'll believe in the 
Magic of Missouri and say it lost still. All right, I have a win, and I'm going to keep it as a win, and I think that our scheme this year does not open us up to what Missouri has done to us in the past, which has really used their defensive ends to just basically murder us. But uh, we shall see. So we stay the same that way. And then we go to LSU. Alan, you have that as a win. I have that as a loss. Ugh, gosh. Uh, LSU looked super impressive, or maybe Auburn looked super awful. I don't know which. But I think I'm going to have to switch that to a loss. I'm going to stay with a loss, although I do not think LSU is nearly as good as they looked against Auburn, who obviously still has a horrible defense. Remains to be seen. When we do this game again, maybe in three or four weeks after the game is over, we'll know more. But for right now, I'm going to go ahead and stick with a loss. But I'm going to say that we could potentially win that one. Then we have everyone's favorite game, Georgia. You had that as a loss. I had that as a win. I think I have to stay as a loss, unfortunately. Okay, and I'm going to stay as a win. So, so far we've made no changes given what we've seen. Pretty well, interesting. Well, I changed LSU to a loss. There you go. That's true. You did. You did come off that one. So, outside of that, we've seen no changes from me. One change from Allen. Vanderbilt, both of us had a win. Home game. Win. <laughs> Vanderbilt is awful. Not changing that one. At South Carolina, Allen, you had a win. I had a loss. I got to stay win. They are a mess. This Hot be, mess right now. Yeah, this will be my first change for sure. I'm going from loss to win. South Carolina looks terrible. So much so that I almost expect Spurrier to retire at the end of the year. I mean, this is a very bad football team. Then we go Florida Atlantic. Both of us had that as a win. I can't imagine we're changing that. Win. And then we go to Florida State at home. Both of us had it as a loss. I'm going to make a big shift here, and I'm going to go win. Florida State has not been impressive at all. They, their offense looked anemic against Boston College. So I'm going to have to go win at home. Yeah, their offense was anemic against Boston College, and it has been anemic all season long. And they have not looked good at all. They have tons of talent on the roster. This is tough. This is tough. There's just so many things that are going to change this prediction before we get there. I'm going to keep it as a loss. I still think that they have far more talent on the roster at starting positions than we do. I don't know if they're going to get their problems corrected, but I think it will be really interesting to see who does the better coaching job because clearly how we feel going into that game will have a lot to do with how well Jimbo has prepared his team and how well McElwain has prepared his. So that will be an insightful thing to look at as we go through. So to summarize that, Alan, how many wins do you now have? We came into this game with you having eight. I think it's the same. I think I swapped out LSU and Florida State. You did, and I came in... With eight wins as well, and I actually wound up adding a win. So somehow, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. I'm at nine wins, which I don't know if I believe that. But looking at the schedule, that's what I'm at. And I said on episode one, we talked about it. I picked us to win eight games primarily based upon our schedule. I felt like it was favorable. And I feel that way now. Old Miss is better than we thought. Missouri looks worse. South Carolina looks drastically worse. Georgia looks like we thought they'd be. And LSU looks better. So that's kind of a reflection. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, let's uh, revisit this again maybe another third away through the season. Sounds like a wise idea. All right, well, that wraps it up for us. Thanks to Josh Ward, Lee Humphrey, Matt Seitz for being on the show. And I thought it was a lot of fun, James. Let's keep it rolling. Loved it as always. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and drop us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Review the show on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use to enjoy the content. We look forward to this weekend. We're hoping for a big win here in Gainesville, and we will be back with you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.